Okie doke. Uh, all right, I'm ready whenever you are. Well, let's do it for the homeless son. And I kick it to all the people who can quest like a tribe does. Before this, did you really know what I was? Comprehend to the track force. Why? Cause getting Welcome back to the, the Relatively Speaking Podcast. We are recording on Friday morning. It is February 24th. This is our special trade deadline show. But before we get into any of that stuff, just want to mention, Joe, I've gotten a lot of really positive feedback about our opening music. Have you? No. all right well the fans like to interact with me a little bit more and by fans i mean my friends who listen to the podcast but uh anytime you could introduce some tribe to people and uh get your show going with that i think it's a great look yeah um here was my my concern is i think our our listenership listenership age group is probably ours so they'll know who tribe is but any that anybody that's a little bit younger probably like they, they know the new tribe and uh, the stuff from SNL and stuff like that, and the Grammys because they've been around, they've been on the in public lately. But like anything earlier, early '90s, they have no idea what that stuff is. Yeah, I, I may have mentioned this on the podcast before, but I actually didn't really get into Tribe until like I want to say 2007 or so. Like I had just graduated college, so I had like a little bit more free time on my hands, which I don't think is the way it's supposed to work. And I was really starting to get into like more conscious rap. Like I was kind of over the whole you know 50 Cent. And, and all those people and i was the like game. i need to listen to something that's yeah yeah you laugh i was a huge game oh so was I, I i i'll tell you this go ahead finish your story i just i was trying to like find some different music i was getting a little bit more into like common and most stuff and guys like that at that stage and i was like you know i've never really listened to tribe called quest i should i should start listening to them and it was like Literally, like, the best year musically in my life was getting to discover Tribe in my early 20s. Like, I think it's different when you start to listen to music, like, as a kid or as opposed to an adult, because you can really understand it a little bit better when you're older. Like, obviously, you know, we're we're 90s kids, essentially. We were born in the 80s. So, like, that stuff didn't make a whole lot of sense to us back then. Like, I remember being 12 and being like, yeah, Nas is my favorite rapper. I don't necessarily know why, other than I really liked his beats, and I thought he had a really cool flow, but, like... I really started to get into Illmatic when I was, you know, a late teenager. And I started getting into Tupac when I was a late teenager, where you can really kind of understand what they're saying a little bit more. And I think for people that haven't listened to Old Tribe yet, or even New Tribe, like, and you're kind of old enough to understand music, if you're listening to our podcast, you're probably old enough to appreciate Tribe and their lyrics and their messages. I think it's definitely worth your time. Oh, 100%. What was funny is you're talking about 50 Cent in the Game. Um so I don't know how it was on, like, how my TV ended up on this channel, but it was, like, what's it, MTV Classic or whatever? Sure. And they had, uh, the show was called, like, Yo, Give Me My 90s Rap or something. Nice. And, man, was, the, like, mid to late 90s was horrible rap. Uh, yeah. None, I mean, of, it, none was- of it stood, like, listen, it was great at the time, but none of it aged well. Like, all of Nelly, all of... Well, I mean, in that in that phase, it's more of like Puff Daddy, DMX, and like I mean, this is like post Biggie, Nas. Like this is kind of when Jay Z was starting to get like really big, I think. Yeah, but even most of like the stuff like I because I listen here what I ended up doing when I was like, oh okay, because the first thing they aired was oh man, I forget who it was. It was somebody I didn't never actually heard before. It was like a and it was actually I really liked the beat and I wanted to find the beat so we could use it, but um. There, so I DVR'd it, and then I like I end up listening to the whole, almost the whole show. Like fast forward through the songs, I know I didn't like, but like, like outside of country grammar for Nelly, all his other songs didn't hold up. Nothing of Ludacris's holds up. Uh, Mace, who I loved, 
loved. Does that. not does not hold up. No, at all. not at all. Well, especially not like man, like Game and Fifty Cent had this this sign together. Um, I forget what the name was. They're talking about being underdogs and being on top. And love it. Yeah, Hater will love it. And uh, the lyrics to it are just funny now because they talk about how they're going to be here forever. Right. And yeah. I mean, time either of them has done something. Yeah, it's been a little while. I actually stayed on the game bandwagon for a while. Like, I was still buying his albums until, like, 2011, I want to say. Oh. Like, the last album he did that had the uh, the track with Tyler, the creator, and Lil Wayne on it, where they were talking about LeBron's mom and Delonte West or whatever. Like, I still like game. I still think he's okay. I just think he got a little stale. But um, Well, actually, rappers I, don't age great. Like, that's, like, the thing. Like, you, you have a really short window to make your mark, it seems like. Yeah, for sure, for sure, for sure. But anyway, speaking of music that has aged well, Tribe has aged well, in my opinion. I really enjoy that. Uh, to, to wrap up the game thing, I've been going to the gym a lot lately. I'm getting married tomorrow. Shout out to me. Uh, so I've been going to the gym a lot. And <laughs> game, game has been like my major, like what I listen to a lot while I'm at the gym. It's been a lot of game, a lot of DMX, a lot of Cameron. Uh, oh, Cameron has an age great. No, Cameron has not aged great. Well, I mean, the I'm thing probably, is, like, I think for us, like, it's nostalgia. Like, we'll still, like, kind of enjoy it. But, like, if you could remove the vacuum of that, like, the fact that we once enjoyed it, like, if you just heard it now, you'd be like, what is this? Yeah, I mean, you also associate Cameron with, like, you know, 4X, 4X uh, pink t-shirts and stuff <laughs> like that. And it, that stuff hasn't aged well either. I digress, Joe. So, the NBA trade deadline was yesterday, and we're going to spend well, I, first... I think we should just stay on this topic for the rest of the podcast. We could, man. We definitely could. I was going to say, it's probably not a good look to spend the first five minutes of the show <laughs> not talking about that. But, uh, Joe, let, let's just jump right into it, and let's start the show off with some AMAs. Seal, hit the music. Alright, so unfortunately these questions all came into us yesterday afternoon, kind of before the deadline hit, but I think it I think it works well for a show to answer them uh, you know, retroactively, I suppose, or I guess not really retroactively, answer them in real time. <laughs> so our first question yeah, I'm the worst. Our first question came from at JPens for Real twenty one, and he asked, If Boston doesn't get a star at the deadline, is Danny Ainge in trouble? Spoiler alert, Boston did not get a star <laughs> at the deadline. So Joe T- tell me what you think of your boy Danny Age. I mean, are you surprised that, that they didn't make a trade? I don't think anybody can be surprised at this point, but obviously the Celtics were one of the teams, you know, that, that we always look to and we were really looking to hard over these last few days to see if they'd get Paul George or Jimmy Butler. Uh, what, what do you think about uh, Jordan's question here? Um, he's not in trouble. Um, he has just too much built-in credit and goodwill with the organization, he's on his third rebuild, and he's done it two other times. And like, I'll, I I would argue, devil's advocate, that he's kind of locked into his rebuilds. But this isn't him not getting Paul George or Jimmy Butler is not going to be under the rope. It's just if I was him, I would have done it. I would have done something, probably the Jimmy Butler move, just because you know he probably fit well and he's a two way player and. Uh, what it took was one of the Nets' first rounders and then some pieces after, and all the other guys that Dan Age swears is untouchable, they're very, very touchable. They have so, <laughs> they have so many assets that, like, they're literally 
asking second round picks to stay overseas. So yeah. like, eventually you have to turn these into turn these into something. And like I just don't know what they're like all right, like I am fine. Like if you want to draft, like I'm perfectly fine with that. I I make the argument that, you know, I, I think Isaiah Thomas is great. I don't think he's your long term solution star. You know what I mean? Like I think he's great. Like great, 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 great. I think you had a ceiling with him though. You know what I mean? Like as long as LeBron James is in the East, you're just if he's your best player offensively, you're gonna hit a ceiling because if LeBron wants to just shut him down in the fourth quarters, he'll just shut him down. But uh I don't know what they're waiting for. Like, what pick, what player is going to be out there? What, like, he had, they had two options. What what player is going to be better than Jimmy Butler or Paul George that they can make the move? And I understand that Paul George theoretically could have been a year-and-a-half rental. But, like, then that's when your job as Danny Ainge is to, like, all right, here's the Nets first-rounder, and here's whatever else, Marcus Smart and Terry Rozier, or whatever those assets are. And uh, you try to convince them to stay, or you try to win in that window because – Cleveland's not going anywhere for three or four more years, and neither is Golden State. So if you're not making this window now, and you're this whole idea of not mortgaging your your future, right? That's what everybody says. And uh, it's not like draft picks are like are locks or guarantees. And even though I love this upcoming draft class, if you're going to go, hey, you could have the one through three picks, like one of the first two three picks, or Jimmy Butler. I'm taking Jimmy Butler every time. Yeah, I mean, that, that's an interesting point, and I think it comes down to a couple of things. And with the first is obviously, what is it that the Celtics were going to have to give up? And if really, you know, the deal breaker is Terry Rozier, and you're not willing to, to you know, part with him, then yeah, I think that's a bad look on Danny Ainge's behalf. To, to answer the question here, no, Danny Ainge is not in trouble. But I do think we're getting to a point where we have to question, when is this team going to make its move? Because... You know, Isaiah Thomas has become a really good player for them. I agree with your point that if he's your best player, you're probably not going to win much. But at the same time, I mean, they're the second best team in the Eastern Conference. They've been really hot lately. They're playing good basketball. And they could have acquired, you know, a Jimmy Butler or a Paul George for for feasibly not not a ton. But that that's really the other question is, what does not a ton mean? What were they going to have to give up? I, I don't know that I'd trade either of these Nets picks for this year or next year because if their their timeline to win isn't now then you're feasibly looking at a team moving forward that could have, you know, Isaiah Thomas, Al Horford, Markel Fultz, and, you know, whoever, insert your great prospect for next year, because it's not like the Nets are going to compete next year. So Yeah, uh, but, but my, my current argument to that is be Marcus Fultz or whoever, Lonzo Ball, Dennis Smith, like they're not going to be ready to be great players in the sure. first two years, and then Al Horford's going to be old, and Isaiah Thomas is going to be broken down, and then your core group of guys aren't going to be as good. So you're just going to do the same thing all over again. Right, and I get that. But the point is, you know, then you have those guys with your Marcus Smart and with, you know, your Jalen Brown. Marcus Smart and Jalen Brown aren't good. Like, can we stop pretending they're good? In my opinion, it's too early to say what they are or aren't going to be. Yes, I agree right now they're not Marcus Smart's at his ceiling, man. He's not getting any better. Like, he's fine. He's a fine player. He's not, like, he should not be this untouchable asset. The Terry Rozier thing is a joke. Considering they're going to be drafting a point guard. Yeah, listen, I'm I'm with you on the Terry Rozier thing. I just I don't feel comfortable necessarily writing off a Marcus Smart, who is already a great defender and his offense could feasibly develop. I mean, he's very young still, and in the NBA lately, we've seen a lot of point guards really kind of blossom in their mid twenties. So I just don't think it's fair to write off Marcus Smart yet. Yes, I would trade him for Jimmy Butler. I would trade him and Jay Crowder and you know their own first for one of these guys if that's what the package is being asked for. 
but we, we don't know what it was that they were being asked to give up. I agree with you. I don't know what they're hoarding all these guys for when they can't necessarily win with them. I mean, you can't keep Avery Bradley and Marcus Smart and Rosier and this upcoming draft pick. Like, you just, you can't keep all these guys or you can't find playing time for all these guys. So if the question turns from is Danny in trouble into what the hell is Danny doing, then that I can kind of agree a little bit more with. But at the same time, you know, like, maybe Paul George just isn't a guy that you're going to win with. And maybe maybe they are asking for four assets and a Nets pick. And may, maybe it's too well, much. Four, I, Zion's not out for Al Horford and Isaiah Thomas. I actually don't see what the issue is. Because they have 9,000 players. Yeah, yeah, they, they do. They do. And, I mean, obviously, you know, we keep bringing up Terry Rozier's name because last week all the reports were coming out that, you know, Danny Ainge wasn't budging on Rozier. He was the deal breaker, which kind of made me think, you know, again, not to be Knicks-centric here, but it made me think of when the Knicks were trying to trade for Carmelo however many years ago, how they just couldn't part with Timofey Mozgov. And it's like, no, this is a guy that you give up if you think you could get a player back who's going to bring you to the next level. I just think the question with Boston is, you know, how many of Crowder, Bradley, Nets pick, Brown were teams asking for? But at the same time, I mean, we'll, we'll get to this in a minute— you look at the trade that the Bulls did make on on Thursday, and they pretty much got fleeced. I mean, they gave up they gave up probably the two best players in that trade and a draft pick to take back Cameron Payne and hope that that can work out for them. I mean, the Bulls front office isn't great. I think this was an opportunity really for Danny Ainge to to try and get Jimmy Butler. The only thing that I'm really asking myself at this point is, you know, maybe Jimmy Butler really wasn't on the market. Maybe they really weren't going to make a reasonable trade offer for him. I mean, that's fair. Um, and maybe that's the same thing with Paul George. Right. It's just, I mean, if if what if if you're going to keep flaunting all your assets and say oh, that puts you in a great position and you can never use them, then they're not assets. They're just extra things you have that are going to eventually leave you because you never use them. Well said, Joe. You want to ask me this next question? I absolutely do. This is from at Maggio NBA, Maggio, whatever. Probably getting beaten to death, but what's your opinion on the quotation marks because you didn't say it. Potential Rose Rubio swap. Um, trade deadline happened. Rose and Rubio obviously didn't get traded. Um, reports are stating that initially Phil Jackson wanted more from Minnesota. They wanted a pick as well or another player. Uh, Minnesota refused to do that. And then that down to the last minute, Phil Jackson finally came and said, sure, we'll do it straight up. And then Minnesota's like, no, nah, it's too late. So what do you think, Jared? Oh, man, I'm shaking my head at this. Listen, I... I'm not going to cry tears over not getting Ricky Rubio. With that said, I, I think he would have been an upgrade for the Knicks. I think he would have been the right point guard for this team because he he's a distributor, as opposed to Derek Rose, who kind of has tunnel vision and really doesn't look to get guys involved. I mean, Kristaps Porzingis has been complaining about the way the Knicks, you know, kind of don't function offensively and that everybody's looking to get theirs, which to me really felt like a sub at, at Derek Rose. So it's disappointing that the team didn't get rid of a player who, you know, has an expiring contract and isn't going to do anything for them for the rest of the season. And they could have brought back a really, you know, I'm not going to say really good, but a, a better point guard. I mean, in terms of playing the position and not to do the whole traditional point guard, blah, blah, blah stuff. But Ricky Rubio is a good player. I mean, the, the Timberwolves offense is better with him on the court than they are with him off of it. Sure, he can't shoot. Sure, he doesn't get to the basket the way Rose does. But it's been proven that that's not really effective for the Knicks or any other team at this point in Derrick Rose's career. So for Phil Jackson to to try, or you know, maybe it's not Phil, maybe it was Steve Mills, but for Knicks management to to try so hard to 
you know, to get more than they could have gotten for a player who has very little value at this stage kind of just stinks for the Knicks, but, you know, goes along with who they've been and what they've done and how they've been, you know, so dysfunctional and haven't been able to make good trades and haven't been able to get good value for players or assets. I mean, this is the second time now that, whether it's Phil Jackson or Steve Mills, the Knicks have shown that they value Derrick Rose more than anybody else in the NBA, and what is it getting for them? So it's it's a disappointment that this trade was seemingly a slam dunk for them, that it would have been an upgrade for the point guard. They would have had a decent point guard, affordable for the next couple of years, and instead, you know, they decided to eat Derrick Rose's contract and, I guess, use that that cap space in free agency to not sign anybody once again this summer. Well, that's the other think? funny part about that, because they said Minnesota kind of shied away from this, too, because they were hearing that Derrick Rose still thinks he's Derrick Rose and wants a monster deal at the Thibs end of the season. Thibs knows that, though, but Thibs knows that, and, I mean, Thibs is feasibly going to be interested in Rose as a free agent anyway. Well, possibly, and maybe that's why you don't make the move and you're just like, we'll just chill where we're at. Right. Um, that's probably why they were kind of giggling on the insides when the Knicks want it more than just Rubio because they have enough cap space just to do it just to do it straight up. But uh, it's just a, it's a bad look for the Knicks who did nothing. They, I mean, the Kylo Quinn stuff, like, I was kind of giggling at that when people were like, oh, is there equal value for him? And it's like, what's equal value for him? But, uh, like, I'm kind of, I'm, given the season they're having, like, all the off-court issues, Derrick Rose going missing, uh, just the roster being a mess, the Carmelo Anthony trade, no trade, Phil Jackson and the posse comments, like, all these things, I'm just shocked they didn't do a thing. Even if it was just for for uh, optics. You know what I mean? They didn't do anything, and they just come out looking like losers. Again, Charles Oakley sitting next to James Dolan on Thursday night, or to Dan Gilbert on Thursday night. Yeah, very, very Nixy. Yeah, I guess. very. The Knicks are the heels in this. Yeah. Uh, it's very Nixy, and it's also just, I mean, it's crazy that, like, this whole thing turned from all the Carmelo Anthony drama over the last couple weeks. Like, all the attention was away from that, because the Knicks feasibly had this trade lined up, and ready to make a smart move, and then they, they nixed it. And just the, the report that, you know, Phil Jackson decided too late on Thursday that he'd do just the Rubio for Rose swap straight up. He he figured that out too late to the point that they just couldn't get the deal in anymore. I mean, it just, it doesn't get more nixy than that. But they are who we thought they are. You can't be that surprised. It's just, it's a bummer. But again, at the end of the day, like, Rubio wasn't going to turn this team around this year, so it's not like they missed out on some franchise point guard. We kind of know who Ricky Rubio is. It's just... The teams had interest in him. The Wolves have been shopping him. The Knicks, you know, Derrick Rose offers no value for them. It just, it seemed like a no-brainer, and they they, they didn't do it. They, they nixed it. Joe, let's get you excited. Why don't you play your new intro music so we can discuss uh, the NBA trade deadline in further detail? Hulk Hogan, hit the music. Ooh. I am a real NBA GM. Fight for the rights of every GM. I'm a real NBA GM. Fight for what's right. Fight for draft rights. We don't endorse Hulk Hogan on this program, by Good the point. Way. We I'll... endorse his theme music, though. While we're talking about wrestling, man, oh my gosh, I have a couple wrestling comments to make, and then we'll Whoa. quickly get back. We'll quickly back get back to the trade <laughs> deadline. I know I just took all like the energy out of the trade deadline. So, Monday night, my fiance and I were sitting home, and we were doing a bunch of stuff, but uh, I randomly decided to put on Monday Night Raw, just because it was, it was like 8 o'clock on the dot, and I'm like, if there's ever a time to put on Raw, it's either the beginning or the last five minutes. So I put it on, 
I swear to you, Joe, she was enamored. She, I've never seen her that interested, like, in anything I randomly put on. <laughs> we sat there, and we watched Raw for, like, almost an hour. I can't lie to you. And it was the first time I've watched wrestling in, like, a really long time. It wasn't good. Like, it was, so it was, it was the Kevin Owens promo. But we, so that, that's the thing. That's what got us sucked in was the first, like, ten minutes of Raw was, like, backstory of Kevin Owens and Jericho doing the whole, like, friendship thing and then yeah. Kevin Owens turning on him. Yeah, I, I probably sound really dumb right now. So I no, but that, that like that's what sucks you in because that's that's one of the best angles of wrestling in the last two or three years. So you probably were misled thinking, oh, wrestling got good, and then you immediately no. follow that up with like just nonsense. Right, we follow that up with uh, Enzo, I think. Who I, <laughs> I just I don't get any of it, so I'm not going to pretend. I'm not going to hate on wrestling. I'm not here to hate on wrestling, but we may try to watch it again at some <laughs> point, depending on the time we have and if it's on. The other story. So I'm at. My, my my fiance, her family is from out in Long Island, way out east, uh, really a town over from McFoley. So we went to Walgreens on Wednesday night to, to pick up some things late at night for our wedding. And I'm just aimlessly walking down the aisles and I peek my head down an aisle and I see a big dude in a green flannel just limping. I keep walking like it's nothing, and I had to do a double take, and Mick Foley, in my in my line of vision, I saw Mick Foley. I ran into him at a Walgreens on Wednesday night. So did you say like, hi? I, I didn't, but, like, so when I did the double take, like, we made eye contact, so I kind of gave him a head nod and, like, a fist pump, and he, <laughs> he probably ignored it, but I think he looked at me. Uh, so that's oh, that's great. I'm, dude, I'm, I'm, like, 31 years old. I really am not about to approach a wrestler and be like, oh, my God, I loved you when I was 15. You know what I mean? Like, it's just it's not in the cards for me at this point. I feel like it's it's more dignified to not say anything. That's fair. But that's still amazing. Yeah, I, I was, I was like, geeking out a little bit, though. I got I was starstruck, and I haven't been starstruck. <laughs> I mean, I, I used to work with, like, a lot of athletes. My aunt used to work with Vince McMahon, so I've been to, like, WrestleMania, and I've been behind the scenes. I've eaten dinner with Linda McMahon before. Like, I stopped getting starstruck by these people, and just seeing McFoley kind of brought me back to, like, being 15 and reading his books. Like, I loved his books. Well, I, you I, had I'm an icebreaker. You you're apparently have a very affluent family that are buddies with the McMahons. No, no, my aunt. So my aunt used to do pay-per-view promotion, and uh, she worked. She worked with Vince for a while. She worked with WWE. She worked with Playboy. She worked with Universal, and then she kind of dropped all of them and started working with UFC. She's partially responsible for getting UFC on Spike. So shout out to Aunt Bonnie. You are awesome. Yo, Aunt Bonnie's a pimp. She she was a boss. Not gonna lie, she was a bit of a boss when she was working in that field. Uh, so I had some good wrestling stories. But listen, let's save those for another day, Joe. Let's get back on track. Let's talk NBA trade deadline, and I gotta ask you, the bigger story from Thursday's deadline, the trades that did happen, or the trades that didn't happen? The biggest story is how annoying Twitter is during big events. Uh, um, so it's two kinds of people. It's the people who find it annoying, and the people who are glued to it and can't get enough of it. I'm, I'm the latter, and I suppose you're the former. Well, two things were bothering me about Twitter. One, people complaining about things not happening. Like, as yeah, if, that, like, reporters were supposed to update, like, whatever. And then the other thing that was bothering me was, like, listen, like, every trade deadline, like, like the last hour or two, usually it isn't great. But there were, like, just because the Boogie trade did, I had Boogie Cousins trade happened a couple days before that. Like, and Neurons Noel got traded, and there was other pieces that moved. Like, it was a pretty active trade deadline, like, the last 11 days or whatever it's been. So, like, chill that you, sorry you didn't get the Paul George, Jimmy Butler thing. But, like, how often does that actually happen? And you got a DeMarcus Cousins trade within this window. So, like, stop complaining, Twitter. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, the boogie trade was kind of like the biggest trade of the week, obviously. I mean, the biggest trade of the season, if not the last couple seasons. Um, I, I think the biggest story is the trades that didn't happen, which really is why we let our show off the way we did with, you know, your question about the Celtics and then the question about the Knicks. You know, I, I wasn't expecting the Celtics to make a trade. I wasn't expecting to see Jimmy Butler or Paul George move. I mean, I think it's kind of interesting that it came out that Paul George is really eyeing signing with the Lakers when he's a free agent next summer. I, I thought that was an interesting story that came out, but I wasn't expecting in Indiana to trade him. Um, I, I think the bigger story is the, the trades that didn't happen because the biggest name to be moved on Thursday was Nerlens Noel, who gets traded to Dallas, and Brian Colangelo just looks like an idiot because he gets a, the Mavs 2017 first-round pick, which is top 18 protected. So if it's not a t- if it's a top eighteen pick, the the Sixers get two second round picks moving forward. Which just like this is what you're giving up Nerlens Noel for a guy who's one of the best you know defensive rookies we've ever seen in the NBA and makes an impact every time he's out on the court. This is what you held off for so long to get back for him. I mean, it's just not a great return. I mentioned that Bulls trade earlier. Uh, the Raptors got PJ Tucker on Thursday. I mean, that, that's a good deal for them. It helps them, but doesn't really have any kind of flair to it. I mean, those are really the trades that we saw on Thursday. So I do think the biggest story is what didn't happen. Yeah, but this is, it's, that, that's the story every year. Do you know what I mean? What ends up happening is the things get leaked. Danny Ainge says, well, you should have saw the stuff we turned down or what we almost did. Or we yeah. find out about all the possible scenarios, and it's always these names that aren't going to be moved for each other. So we're like, yeah. The Celtics definitely should trade it, and it'll be something totally unrealistic for Jimmy Butler or Paul George. And then, but it doesn't matter because none of these things almost ever happen. Like the Boogie Cousins thing happening was rare. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like the yeah, Carmelo absolutely. trade for like when Denver traded Carmelo to the Knicks, and obviously the Knicks gave up a lot to get him. But like a legit star moving on rarely happens. You're 100 percent right, and I do think maybe you know all the hype of the potential for Jimmy Butler to get traded, or Melo to get traded, or Paul George to get traded, kind of made people you know think this is the year we're going to get a big deal. We usually don't, though, and it's not fair to kind of not have that perspective about it. Because this is, we do this every, we're going to do it next year too. Like we do it every year. We're like, yeah, you know, these guys might move, and we'll hear all the rumors and the whispers, and maybe we'll get one. And mostly, all the moves are like the PJ Tucker stuff, which gives. Toronto, great depth, a way better defender. Um, they didn't have to give up anything to get him. I mean, what did they get up? Sullinger and... Uh, I mean, Sullinger was the big piece. Sullinger and, I think, a second-round pick. Yeah, and Phoenix just bought them out and waved them. So, right. uh, it's Tyler just, Ennis got traded also. That's to the Lakers, yeah. Magic Johnson. We, let's okay. talk about Magic Johnson for a second here. Uh, let's, let's talk about Magic Johnson. Yeah, there's nothing else to talk about with the trade deadline, Joe. I think I think we're ready to move on. Yeah. And then the other, yeah, the big NBA story this week. Besides that, and maybe this took a little bit of the you know the sizzle away from the trade deadline too. Magic Johnson takes over the Lakers. I mean that that's kind of incredible slash maybe really <laughs> stupid. But Magic gets hired. I mean, you're a Laker fan, so I'll let you play the judgment. <laughs> you're, you're a Laker fan, right? That's yeah. Okay. So Magic Johnson becomes the team president, essentially taking like the Phil Jackson role for the Lakers. Uh, the Jim Bus promise comes to fruition. He gets sent into exile. This is Genie's team all the way now. Mitch Kupchak gets let go despite you know winning championships with this team and having a proven record as a very good general manager. I mean, sure he hasn't done much lately, but uh, yeah, Mitch is gone. Jim is gone, and now Magic is in charge. And player agent Rob Pelini 
Polinka, Rob Polini. That would have mm-hmm. been fun. Rob Polinka takes over as GM. Joe, tell me what you think of all this. Uh, well, listen, like, I'm not a fan of it. I mean, I have a Twitter account and see Magic Johnson tweets. So <laughs> I, I'm pretty well aware of what his basketball knowledge is. Um, here's the weird thing, right? Like, I get why he has a job. Like, Jeannie Buss, the Buss family, right? Because Jim Buss is still going to be, like, on the payroll. Because they're that's their only business. They don't have a business outside of basketball. That's how right. they make their, their living. So um, I get the hire from that standpoint. Like, this is how you get Laker Nation to rally around the, the franchise. And, um, I mean, Magic's great. He's people – I mean, like, there's not, like you can't not, not like Magic Johnson as a person, right? And he's Magic Johnson. He's one of the best basketball players ever. And uh, I totally get it from that standpoint. Um, but he's failed – a lot at NBA stuff outside of playing. Wasn't a good coach. Horrible broadcaster. So I don't know why why this makes this the right hire. I get it from the right hire from the standpoint of from the standpoint of um of just wanting the good like the good PR or whatever. But I don't get it from the um like, what makes you think him or Rob, how do you say his last name? Polinka. Whatever. So, how this makes them going to be better basketball minds, you know what I mean? So, or make better basketball decisions. I think, because he, the first thing he said, like, so, like, listen, like, this is the dude that celebrated Byron Scott getting caught, hired after he celebrated Mike <laughs> Tony getting fired. He wanted D'Antoni fired so badly. Yeah, and then he wanted, and D'Antoni's been great since then, and was not with Houston, and Byron Scott was, I don't even know how to put it without being mean, but he was already obsolete as a coach by the time he joined the Lakers. Like the league sure, I yeah, for sure. And, Everybody uh, left at that hire when it happened. Yeah. Everybody knew. Except for Magic. And uh, But like the first thing Magic does after like, you know, doing what he does about Laker Nation and all that stuff is say, like, I need patience. Okay, we're going to see how long this lasts. Like, you know, and I, listen, I think he actually did a good job on the trade deadline. I do. I yeah. do. Like, you got. Like, hey, they, they flipped Lou Williams. I mean, that, that was a good trade flipping Lou. Yeah, and uh, they got rid of um, somebody else. Who did they get rid of? Somebody else they got off their books. I can't remember who. But um, I don't know how this, like, the, the big night for the Lakers were, like, when free agents would come in that they didn't know how to, you know, do advanced stats pitches, and they weren't really familiar with the CBA. What did Magic Johnson admit to the day he got a job? Guess I have to learn about the CBA. Yeah. I don't know anything about advanced stats. Okay, this is great. You you basically hired somebody without the same qualifications that Mitch Kupchak supposedly didn't have, even though Mitch Kupchak is actually, like, I mean, if you're going to record right, it's one of the greatest GMs in the history of the sport. You know, like... Yeah, sure. One of the most like, successful. Yeah, and I can understand, like, the game could have passed by it. Like, I'm not saying he shouldn't have been fired. I'm just saying, like, you didn't necessarily just get an upgrade because Magic Johnson's beloved. Yeah, but, I mean, I think that that's kind of their approach to it, and I think it's, you know, I, I can. Every time I bring them up, I'm going to have to apologize and preface this. Yeah, I'm going to preface it. I don't think, I. it's very Nixy where the Knicks hire Phil Jackson because He's a name, and maybe he'll be able to lure other names, and that's what the Lakers do. And, you know, you look at the Lakers, and they bring in Magic, and the first thing that the talking heads bring up is, well, they haven't landed, you know, a big-name player in a long time, and now bringing in Magic Johnson's going to help them because he has star appeal. And you hire Rob Polinko, who was Kobe Bryant's agent, 
And that only kind of doubles down on that. So instead of being like, yeah, we're going to develop talent and we're going to find young players and we're going to make the Lakers, you know, one of these up and coming teams, which kind of felt like the real reason they brought Luke Walton in was so he could develop young players. Instead, it's, yeah, now we have our appeal back. Now we're going to be able to sign free agents. People are going to want to be a part of Magic Johnson brand. This is the Lakers. And it's just kind of one of those things where it's like teams don't do this. Teams don't get better because they hire a celebrity to work in the front office. Teams get better because they're patient and they they hire smart people who who can scout well and can find diamonds in the rough in drafting, not guys who just trade assets to trade assets and try to chase big names. I think one of the trends we've seen in the NBA recently is – you don't see guys trying to team up stars anymore. It's not about getting big-name players to play together. Those aren't really the teams that are winning. I mean, sure, you look at the Warriors, they have all these big names, but these are guys that the team has developed. And you look at the Cavs, yeah, they, they got LeBron back. LeBron's just a game-changer. But I think, you know, even like five five years ago, you saw All-Stars saying, yeah, I just want to go play with another All-Star, and it wasn't working out for everybody. And I think the Lakers kind of think, we get Magic, you know, maybe we could land a Paul George soon, and we'll just keep, you know, going after every big free agent, and people are going to want to play here because we're the Lakers, and that's going to help us win. I mean, that's just, that hasn't worked for them lately. So it's a little weird seeing them kind of take this approach over the last couple years where they've drafted young players really high, and they have some good prospects and some good, you know, young guys. You don't know how good D'Angelo Russell is yet. Julius Randle, it's arbitrational. You know, Brandon Ingram hasn't been in the league long enough to, to see what kind of player he is, but it looked like this team was really rebuilding and about a youth movement, and I can't help but wonder if that kind of changes immediately now with Magic and Rob Polinka in charge. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Like, it'll be more interesting when the draft rolls around and depending where their pick is and where the pick's going to be at, really, if they decide to make a run at somebody. And I guess there's reason to be generally excited, but I mean... Is there... What what reason is there to be not, excited? I, I'm not, but if you're if you're a delusional Laker fan and you just know Magic Johnson as Magic Johnson, you're going to be excited because you're just going to assume that basketball success he had on the hardwood 30 years ago is somehow going to translate to a front office job. Yeah, I think that's really well said. I mean, it's it's kind of a it's kind of a leap of faith here. Bringing well, in but that's what people do all the time. That's why Bill Parcells got so many front office jobs, even though he wasn't a good front office exec. Uh, this is why the Knicks brought in Phil Jackson, even though Phil Jackson had no prior experience. I mean, you could go, like, I, I forget who made the point, but, so, yeah, sometimes it works out. Sometimes you get a John Elway who's willing to put in a ton of work and is a, gets lucky enough to get Peyton Manning, you know what I mean, at the back end of his career. But most of the time, it's Magic Johnson getting fired 16 games into his head coaching career, or <laughs> Phil Jackson being a disaster with the Knicks, or Vlade Divac with the Sings, or, the, yeah, the Sings, the Kings. Um, it, most of the time, if you're just getting a player, Derek Fisher as a coach, I mean, if you're just getting a player and just assuming just because he played basketball, even if he was a great basketball player, like Michael Jordan when he was with the Wizards as a front office guy. You know what I mean? Well, like, I mean, even with Charlotte, it took them a long time to not stink with him as the owner. I mean, they were just until he started delegating his power out, right, and stop hiring his boys for every single job. I mean, it's just it's weird that like I don't know the Lakers have had a rough couple of years, and this was kind of their this is what's going to save things. This is what's going to turn things around. Well, the we're thing is, though, with him, like, if, if I mean, Magic is a smart guy, so like, if he's great businessman too, great business. Listen, James Dolan is a good businessman. It means not, it means nothing. Yeah, you know what I'm saying like being a good, like I hate like oh he's a great like listen that Vivek from the Kings is a good businessman. 
Like, like all these guys are great businessmen, unless they were born into money. Do you know what I mean? Like, the guys that have, like, this is new money for them, yeah, like, they're great businessmen. doesn't mean you're great at finding out who's going to be a great third-string shooting guard. Do you know what I mean? So, like, I don't want to hear that nonsense. And uh, now I'm getting frustrated all over again. But if you're the Lakers, if you're Magic Johnson, like, all you have to realize is, like, hey, you can't do it all by yourself. Find Try to realize what your weak spots are. Hire guys smarter than you in your weak spots to help you cover that up. That could help, you know, add insight there. And then do your job. He's like, I think his main job there is to be, like, the pitch man to big-time free agents. And then I think it's up to him to make sure he has the proper scouting, capologist, that Rob Palenka dude, to help them, you know, with the draft and trades and stuff like that. And I think Magic's main job is going to be like, hey, Paul George, when your crime takes up, you know what would look great on you? The purple and gold. Nonsense like that. Like, I don't think, like, I I can't imagine him sitting in the room crunching cap numbers. No, I can't either. I don't think that's what he's going to do. And I mean, I don't know enough about Rob Palenka to say what he can or can't do in terms of being a GM. Just, it's another guy you're bringing in who doesn't have any experience for the job you're asking him to do. And, you know, I just feel like Magic needs more people who have experience to, to help him out there. And it just, I don't know, it, it doesn't, I don't want to kill them before we have reason to kill them. And what, again, you I, know, think we, I think we could question the hiring. Yes, yes, 100%. 100%. I just, uh, Magic is not a great talent evaluator. It's funny, I'm looking at, you know, some of these old Magic tweets. If Brandon Knight were to come out, I would take him number one in the draft. For all of you out there questioning Jimmer Fredetta BYU, he's the real deal. The Bucks just acquired the next Jason Kidd and Michael Carter Williams. He just I likes winners so. at the college level. The Dallas Mavericks trade for Rajon Rondo puts him in position to be a contender in the Western Conference. He's going to want to resign with Team Cleves. <laughs> like I'm telling you, like this is this is what he like. He just like, and I I get it. Like you fall in love. Like if Buddy Heald, if he was if Buddy Heald was in the college this year, he would take Buddy Heald over everybody else because he yeah, likes it, those dudes. Yeah, him and Vivek probably have a lot in common. I mean, it, it's it's weird. I don't want to say anything like he likes whatever he likes, but. He just seems like, you know, a dude who watches like 10 basketball games a year and comments on those games that he watches. I, I don't mean to make this all about his Twitter, which obviously a lot of people did. And obviously he is a all-time terrible tweeter. Oh, that is the best because, you know, he doesn't actually lie about most things. Mostly like when he says like, hey, when Steph Curry and Clay Thompson are on the floor at the same time, they're really good. But when they're not, they're not as good. Like that's right. a bad tweet, but it's not inaccurate. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like I think, listen, and part of it is like, Magic's like the least polarizing guy in the world. So like that just might have been his like Twitter persona. That's a good point. That's a good point. And I mean, I guess after, you know, the dysfunction that the Lakers have had over the last couple of years, it just, it can't hurt to, to add a, a favorite, a crowd favorite. I just, oh, it I don't... totally hurt. Because if, if, he, if he fails and he stinks, how do you go about firing Magic Johnson? Yeah, yeah, no, that that's a really that's a great point, actually, Joe. That that's a great point. So this is actually really bad for them. <laughs> I think, like, listen, like you have to give Magic Johnson every chance he wants to succeed. And if he ends up being very bad at this job, you gotta kind of hope Magic Johnson doesn't want to keep doing the job because you're genie bus, and this is how you make your living. Because you don't have businesses outside this. Your business is basketball. You can't fire Magic Johnson. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like this is. Uh, this is very. This is the life you've chosen. It's like being part of the Corleone family and the Godfather. Like this is the life you've chosen. And you know, sometimes you're gonna have to, you know, take on the lesser of two evils. That that lesser of two evils is kind of bigger than you, even though you're the owner of the Lakers. 
No, absolutely. That that's a really great point. And I think that's, you know, one of the reasons a lot of organizations kind of stay away from hiring their all-time greats for jobs like this that that really have potential to bust. I mean, a lot of a lot of a lot of teams, organizations put players, you know, in the front office but not as the president or not as a head coach where it's like yeah, the fan base could turn on this person, and things can get ugly real quick. You know, like this well, most of the bad. time, doesn't it seem like a lot of them aren't like like Vadi Divac has ties to the Kings, obviously, but like, and he was a really, really good basketball player. But like, he's nobody, expendable, right? For the like, like, like the expendable. Sacramento's not going to flip their lids if Vadi gets fired. Yeah, Do you know I mean, what I mean? You know, yeah, I actually I don't I don't know. That might be a bad example. Vladi's a Vladi's a real uh, hometown favorite, and I mean that's an organization that just doesn't have that kind of history. So maybe he is one of the more coveted guys. But still, Ma- Magic Johnson, you know, is a top. He's he's a Mount Rushmore of NBA icons. You know, he makes that cut. So especially with the Lakers, who are one of you know your cornerstone franchises in the league's history. Yeah, it, it's tough. It, it's really tough. And uh, I mean, there's just there's very little indication that he's the right guy for the job. Right, and to be fair, there's the other way to look at this, like how hard are these jobs really? Do you know what I mean? That yeah. we're giving people, like, this isn't like just to Magic Johnson, this goes to Phil Jackson, and this goes to Vlade, and this goes Phil to... Gets, Phil gets torched daily, though. So right, I mean, it is, no, but I'm, it just is, saying, I'm just saying, like, this, like, what I'm saying here is about the job maybe not being as hard as some of us think of it is, is there's really no right way to become the president of basketball operations. Generally, you either have to be famous enough be a legend in that like circle or you kind of just have to luck into it. So like it's, it very rarely is the guy starting in the mic, like what Miami's trying to do with Shane Battier, right? They're putting him in a role and kind of hoping he's like eventually the guy to replace Pat Riley. That's the- he's starting in analytics though, which is amazing to me right. with Shane Battier. Amazing. Right. But like, the, and they're trying to group like, but rare is that the path like that? Somebody starts there. Yeah. It's usually like all of a sudden you don't never heard of this dude. He's the GM of the Lakers. Boom, he's the – or you heard of him. But, like, you didn't hear of him in front office circles. And uh, I think, like, what, what is Bobby Marks, the only dude that actually, like, climbed up the ranks? Sean Marks. Sean Marks. What, who's Bob, – oh, Bobby Marks is the guy from the vertical. I apologize. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. But, I mean, he's a front office insider, so it's an easy mistake. But, yeah. um, no, you're right. It, it's just – yeah, it's – So, it's like, a, I don't know why, like, that whole argument about, like, is he qualified, is he not qualified. Nobody's qualified. I think it's as much like if you draft if LeBron James is in your drafting at the first overall pick because a previous GM and previous coaches stunk. That doesn't mean you're a good GM. It means you got lucky and LeBron James is there. Yeah, yeah, it's a good point. There, there's definitely a lot of luck involved here. Tons. And I just you know that maybe they're setting him up for success, giving him this young roster with a lot of assets and you know assets. I know that they I hate assets. Seriously, yeah, that's all we talk about around trade deadline. Yeah, I mean that that's the thing. Everybody wants to trade for draft picks or young players and nobody wants to give them up, so it just becomes a little bit of a buzzword. But the Lakers the Lakers are clearly in a okay position moving forward. I mean, it's going to be unfortunate. I know they got to surrender at least one of their upcoming first round picks if it's not protected, but uh they're they're not in a bad shape and you know, hopefully for Lakers fans and hopefully for the NBA even, you know, Magic Johnson's able to help take them to a new level. Either way, I don't think it's a bad thing that Jim Buss is kind of removed from the picture. I'm cool with it, too. I think uh, Lakers fans should be worried about Jeannie, too. Not because, whatever with the basketball stuff, um, she had those comments about Kobe Bryant a couple years ago, two years ago, when Kobe was clearly done, and she called players that refused to play with them losers. And um, 
she might not be a great business person. So, yeah. Yeah. Did, Joe, what do you think? Does this mean Kobe's coming back to the organization at some point in the immediate future? No. I think Kobe's really dead set on starting his own enterprise. And the only way he comes back is like a, is like a figurehead advisory role where Matt's just like, hey, I just need some like your name attached to it. You don't really have to do anything. Because Kobe seems pretty dead set on doing those things outside of basketball. All right, man. I am expecting Kobe to be back. I think he'll be back. To do what? I don't know. That's not my that's not my job. That's Magic's job. <laughs> Lakers head coach next year. They just hired Luke Walton, but they're gonna fire him. Oh my god, that'd be the best. That'd be the best. Nothing would be better than Kobe Bryant, Lakers coach, replacing Luke Walton, who had to Disappointing rookie season, even though the team probably still overachieved. Well, if they fire Luke Walton, Lakers fans better be concerned because super young team. Luke Walton appears to be a good coach, and uh, the issues they're having now is just that they're super young and there's holes and it's not a deep roster. And uh, but my, that's when they first hired Magic. My first thought wasn't that Magic because he's Magic would fire him. My first thought was, oh, Luke Walton's not Magic's guy. And the natural reaction is to think they're going to fire the coach. So- yeah, s- speaking of the Lakers and speaking of Magic, I just realized Lou Williams scored 27 points last night. Then the kicks. What does that even say? What's the, then the rocks? What are them? What's the saying? Then the breaks. Then, then the breaks. What do they call them? Then the kicks. Then the kicks. I like that even better. Joe, I think that's probably, <laughs> anyway, well, I think that's probably a great opportunity to end our show today. What do you think? Thank God. Oh, man. Thank God, Joe. You say thank hey, God. Hey, everybody, everybody stand and clap for Jared, who's getting married tomorrow. And uh, congratulations to him and Jennifer. And they'll be honeymooning somewhere naked, making babies. No, we're not making babies. We might be naked. Uh, thanks, Joe. I really appreciate that. And uh, I'm going to miss you. I'm going to miss doing the podcast for the next couple weeks. But I know you got some good uh, co-hosts lined up. You want to tell our listenership what they have to look forward to with me on vacation? Lots of college basketball, lots of going off the rails, lots of, I'm going to have four co-hosts, four different co-hosts for the four different episodes Jared will be gone, and I'm going to make sure to embarrass every one of them and make them feel super uncomfortable. So uh, that should be exciting for them who are kind of unfamiliar with the show coming on and then thinking they're coming on to talk about sports, and then I open up with something really stupid. I really look forward to that. I'm going to put the over-under on four people correcting you every time you say preface because that's not a word. Uh, it's going to be great. It's going to be fun. I really look forward to listening even while I'm on my honeymoon. I may not listen that second week when I'm in the Dominican Republic, but uh, I'm going to try my hardest to, and I, I have full confidence that you're going to do a great job. Thanks in advance to everybody that's coming on to co-host with Joe and deal with him. You will soon see how difficult of a job it is and why I'm considered one of the top unknown podcasters in America. God bless you. I it's didn't true. sneeze. Yeah, it sounded like a sneeze. Man. I cough, man. I've been dying for like a week now. It's been more than a week. I think this is actually the least congested we've sound on a, sounded on a podcast in a really long time. So <laughs> Probably. I'm proud, of, I'm proud of us. Saw that cocaine Joe, we did before the show. Shut the hell up. <laughs> Joe, t- thank you so much. Listeners, thank you so much. Uh, I'll be back in a couple weeks if Joe doesn't burn the place down, but... For the time being, you can follow me on Twitter at Jamin's Hoops. Joe, tell the good people where they could follow you. Uh, on Twitter's at Joseph Nerdone, N-E-R-D-O-N-E. And for real, Jared, congratulations to you and Jennifer. Uh, I hope you guys are happy forever. Thank you, man. Me too. I will be back as a married man in a couple of weeks. Woop, woop. Woop, woop. <laughs> All around me are familiar websites. 
worn out clickbait, worn out hot day. It's bright and early for the daily link dumps. No one's clicking, no one's clicking. Their pupils are filling up their pockets, but not for writers, not for writers. Hide my head, I want to do a slideshow. No tomorrow, no tomorrow. And I find it kind of funny, I find it kind of sad. The internet in which I'm worthless is the best I've ever had. I find it hard to tell you, I find it too hot to take. When people blog in circles, it's a very, very mad world. Mad world.